Sunday Enigma podcast with me, your host, Rainbow Black. Today we're going to do something a bit different. I was talking with my bro and we were talking about prison reforms and some of the issues that are affecting UK jails currently. And I've been doing a series of carpooling interviews and we had a good chat, a real talk about what's going on. So that is going to form the basis of this podcast this week. So I'm going to be looking at prison reforms, some of the issues that come up for offenders, staff, the actual system itself. And we're going to kickstart this podcast by listening in on the conversation me and my bro had about his perspective of what's happening in UK jails. So strap yourselves in. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be an eye-opener. And maybe a deterrent for some people as well. So let's get into it. I'm ready. You ready? Okay, let's clock in. When you say the prisons are full, what, what kind of capacity over. we're talking? So what is over it? over eight capacity? So what? Double, so, so, what? so if it's eight hundred, right? It's sixteen hundred. So you're doubling up. You're tripling up. Wow. Three man in a pad. So there's one on the floor. It's doing like been a special bed being bought in. Yeah, they're bringing in mattresses. Oh my god, no. Breaded up ones or whatever. Double up, double, double. So you, the, 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 you doubled up as it is, yeah. And then they just fling down a mattress. Do you think about it? Or they're using segregation. So they're doubling up on everything. They're tripling up. That's not in prison. Oh my God. That's um, what deal in Milton Keynes. That's Vincent Green. These kinds of things happen. Main prisons, stroke, young offenders. There so, you go. What's that's the, happening to all the prisons. So, what's the youngest? What's the youngest age group? Nine, could be nineteen, could be eighteen, could be seventeen, could be sixteen. So, sixteen. They want to rock with men. They want to rock. They, 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 they want to rock. They want to rock with big men like yourself. You're not saying the right thing, you're not moving right, so you don't want to take off your jaw, they don't even want to listen to me, man. Mm-mm. Respect isn't there. Like they're in there. Listen, old man, don't talk to me like that, you? I'll take your jaw, all that kind of funny talk. You're in the dinner key waiting for your dinner, being civil. They're pushing it, they don't care. You tap them on the shoulder. They want. They want to come in your. Front. They want to come in your face. But what? What are you going to do? What are you troubling me for? What? 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 What you touched me for? Yeah. And then they got that spice. Oh, the hotheads. Yeah, the hotheads. Can't talk to them. And when you do talk to them, they want to try and do you something. Only one approached me. You know one. Only one. Answer the whole set. 
we don't tell the truth about Chris and that. I'm not talking about the overcrowding and the mouse and the lice and, and the crab roach and the and the and the and the and the and the, and the, and the, and the, the crab and I'll talk about the crab lies. And I'll talk about um, the, 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 the the ambulance on standby because people oh. have any spice attacks. They're not talking about that. They're not talking about that and their body oh. spice. So spice attacks, what would that look like? When, when you're witnessing... Maybe they're fragging out, throbbing from the mouth or... Like they got or, rabies. Or, 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 or shorter breath or... Because, you know, it's, it's bad. They can't catch their breath or whatever. Or they're, they're just... On the landing, just talking gibberish. It's really bad. So and, it, and this is on a regular basis. It's horrible. So, scared. so are they hallucinating? Hallucinating. Laughing, giggling, misbehaving. Um, yeah, all sorts. Of so what about um? So if you've got things like a drug epidemic in there, right? Um, is there, is there problems with um suicide attempts? Loads.
me and my brother are talking about some of the issues that are cropping up in UK prisons, yeah? Uh, such as overcrowding, um, lack of training from officers, suicide rates, drug, drug epidemics, mental health, all of these things are squalor. So I've just gathered some data here. Um, I'm just going to be reviewing the perspective of actual prison officers and, and prisoners or offenders even, what's going on in, in the UK jails. So I'm just reading some information here about my actual hometown as well, Birmingham, uh, the famous Winston Green prison. And what it's saying there um, is that Birmingham prison is to remain under public control after it was taken over by the government. Um, it's well it's well known and well documented that um, the contract was handed over to G4S, which is uh, known for security. So it's saying here in August it was announced that Her Majesty's Prison and Probation Service was taking the running taking over the running of HMP Birmingham from G4S because they, they weren't doing a, a good job. There was issues such as um, staff uh, falling asleep or they were found asleep or locked in offices and appalling scholar and violence um, and outbreaks. I think there was an incident either last year or the year before where there was a riot, a riot that actually went on for several days. Um, and you know, the conditions are less than humane. It's a very old prison. Um, I don't know if it's about 50, 60 years old, but it's um, deteriorating, decrepit, um, overrun with um, vermin. And um, the staffing is poor. Yeah, so, you know, they are trying to privatize the prisons. Um, I suppose it's kind of like they're trying to emanate the uh, American model um, where they're trying to make it uh, profitable but you're, you're dealing with human beings here that have been warehoused in really poor squalid conditions yeah so this this um, move came from um, the chief inspector of prisons Peter Clark who, who assessed this prison several times yeah So G4S, um, understandably quite embarrassed. But this, this other guy, another a prison minister, Rory Stewart, said that he was confident that Birmingham was making good progress um, and just needs stability and continuity. Continuity, yes, it does need all of those things. So it needs to be adequately staffed. It needs to be modernised, it needs to be updated, you know, rehabilitation packages need to be in place. Um, and it just needs to be, you know, monitored more closely, really, because it is, is actually underperforming. And yes, we do know that drug use is, is prevalent and, and is presenting a lot of challenges with um, drugs being flown over the walls but by drones and um, you know some some talk of corruption um, 
culture within uh, prisons these days and not just amongst um, offenders but amongst staff because um, it is no secret that prison staff's um, salary is quite low and if you're a prison officer uh, many of you many of you might not know but you are not allowed to have any personal debt at all um, because you could be open to bribery um, because uh, prisoners um, are involved in all sorts of things um, and if you're in debt and somebody says I can give you you know an extra two three grand in your pay packet um, a month off the books you know you might just go for it and there, there is an issue with actually recruiting uh, good officers because many of the officers um, from back in the day Many of them have retired or unfortunately nobody talks about this stuff where staff are so stressed and so so traumatized and feel so de-skilled with some of the things that they're being presented with at work. Um, the suicide rates amongst um, prison officers is high. Many of them don't live past 50. It is either on the job or after they leave the job, they, they actually die or they take their own lives or they they develop addiction and um, mental health issues themselves. This is not talked about. So what, what, what's happening now is that they're recruiting um, a lot of young um, prison staff, prison officers to work in the system. So what these are 21 year olds with no life experience, they're wet behind the ears, um, they could be easily coerced and bullied into bringing things in or turning a blind eye or falling in love with prisoners. Um, this is quite common and they themselves could end up on, on the other side of the bars because they're not equipped, they don't have the life experience. You, it's no good being book smart, you've got to be life smart, you've got to have those skills to be able to deal with some of the complexities of, of of offenders you know it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of situation so what they're doing now because they have sort of so many problems recruiting they're actually lowering lowering the entry level for people to join the service so i don't think you can be um i don't think you can be crb checked which is i think is dangerous because then who are you actually letting in to really rehabilitate these guys when you don't, you know nothing about um, who you're employing um, to look after these vulnerable people that have got a multitude of safeguarding issues. So I don't think we should lower the bar that much. Um, you've all seen um, Line of Beauty, right? I rest my case. Um, so it's saying that prisoners are flouting the rules without challenge from staff. Because um, many are anxious and fearful um, of the repercussions. So this is staff. You know, does that sound like um, it's a, a safe environment for staff and for offenders and for external workers coming? No, it doesn't. You shouldn't be fearing the people that you've come to work with and that are there um, to serve their sentences because they have offended. You know, the whole point of prison is to reduce offending. 
you know, not to intimidate and coerce and bribe staff and turn them into um, criminals as well. Yeah, so it feels as though the system is broken. And that's just HMP Birmingham. Um, you have other prisons that are quite high profile as well, such as um, uh, Brixton uh, Prison and Wandsworth Prison. So these are London-based prisons. And even the young offenders um, prisons are also struggling with some of the com complex issues that some of these um, offenders are presenting with. Because mental health is a major issue where you're having people come in and they've been sentenced for uh, committing offences, but actually the underlying issue is actually their mental health. But because there's a breakdown um, in communication and funding, um, these these men and and women are just being incarcerated because it's cheaper. Um, assessing them, treating them, referring them to psychologists, um, you know, working with, with these deep-rooted issues. You know, it's cheaper than administrating, uh, administering um, medication and long-term uh, treatment and talking therapy. You know, many people are presenting with, um, you know, really complex mental health issues. Might be, might be post-traumatic stress. There's no secret that many um, serving soldiers um, end up in prison after they uh, finish serving their country. They turn to alcohol and drugs to um, to cope with some of the things that they've seen over time. Um, and they've ended up offending and getting locked up. Um, and you can't even say they've been misdiagnosed because nobody's interested in in what's going on beneath the surface. It's just like you've committed a crime and we're gonna lock you up. We don't care if you served in Afghanistan and you've got post-traumatic stress. You were drunk, you were disorderly. Um, you've committed grievous bodily harm. You've got into fights. You've probably brandished a, a weapon or martial arts. Um, but nobody's looking at the deeper things because actually if you're a veteran, I recently went on some training. If you're a veteran and you do end up um, being incarcerated and offending, the level of shame that you feel is so immense, um, you're likely to hide that you're um, a veteran and that you serve for your country because it's just something else um, to feel embarrassed and feel um, worthless about because probably the whole reason you've committed this crime is because you no longer know what your purpose is anymore. But um, the criminal justice system is, is missing a lot of this. It's not being discussed yet. Um, and they're saying that additional training is needed for, for staff to manage some of these vulnerable and violent offenders. It's, it's more than that. And there's, there's the culture stuff as well. Nobody's talking about, um, you know, some of the young people that go into to prison and they're almost feel obligated and forced to have to uh, survive. And they might be in there for low level crimes such as uh, stealing cars, uh, committing fraud, uh, selling drugs, you know, um, 
you know, getting into street fights, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, just gateway stuff, really. But they end up serving really long sentences. They've got these sentences called IPP um, sentences, you know. They're like um, protection, public protection orders. And you could go in for three months and end up not coming out for two, two or three years or even longer. There was a man that um, went into jail for a low-level crime, trigger offence, maybe drug-related. Um, could have received treatment for it, but didn't. Or, you know, done some kind of rehabilitation work around um, uh, substance misuse and um, offending. And this man ended up serving 13 years, you know, because he's on his IPP um, license. You know, that's not good for him. It's not good for his family. Um, because if you can't see an end in, in, in sight, why would you make any changes? You're, you're only going to pick up new habits. Um, and if, you, if you've got nothing to lose, you're, you're going to move that way. You're going to present that way. You're going to cause the, the most trouble. You're going to be very disruptive. You may, you may be self-harming. You may, you may sabotage other offenders that are trying to make changes. Because you're thinking, well, there's no, there's no point in me making any changes. Because I don't know when I'm going to leave here. There's no chance of me getting parole or going out and doing any uh, restorative work. You know, so there's a lot of people that feel hopeless. And um, I've been told there's over 6,155 um, offenders on these licenses. So they're actually looking at... Um, scrapping these because it's costing it's costing up to 18 18 billion pounds to um house offenders on these types types of licenses um you know so there's a lot there's a lot of issues a lot of issues um in uk prisons yeah but let's let's look at some more um data Looks as though G4S are trying to do a little bit of damage limitation by um, agreeing to pay 9.9 .9 million to cover the additional cost of the step in action because they've made such a cock up of um, managing the UK prisons. Yeah. And that's quite telling, isn't it? So, what they're actually saying as well is that um, rather than the prison population reducing, it looks like it's increasing. Um, and this summer, 2019, it looks as though the prison um, population has increased, increasing to 8,500 for the first time. Um, and there is a massive issue with overcrowding with um, uh, the situation being so bad that bunk beds are being put into cells um, to house extra um, offenders. Um, as my brother was saying there, it's not even bunk beds sometimes, it's just like mattresses piled on top of each other and, and you've got a new celly, you've got a new cellmate um, and, it's, and it's overcrowded and 
you know, new cellmates that come in may 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 have extreme mental health um, issues, and you've got to listen to them screaming or self-harming, or you might see them try and hang themselves because they just can't cope with doing the time or they're not getting the, the medication or the mental health care that they should get. You know, so you go in for one thing and you come out with post-traumatic stress. You go in um, for some people, they've gone in there, they can't deal with uh, the long sentence because they're in an overcrowded, kind of like pressure cooker environment. And somebody offers them something such as spice, which is like an hallucinogenic um, drug, which can send, makes you feel like you're going nuts, I've been told. You know, um, it can make you look as though you've got rabies, you're foaming at the mouth, having fits, you know, trying to cut yourself, trying to jump out of windows, throwing yourself off landings, all, all that kind of thing. So you're seeing all this trauma around you, and now you just you just, you want to self medicate too, to escape in your mind. So you've gone in there without a drug habit. Yes, you've committed a crime, but now you just want to block it all out to cope. So now you start taking drugs. So now you've acquired a new drug habit. So this 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 is um some of the. Some of the clients I've encountered over the years when I was in the drug field. And I asked them where 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 they first started to use drugs. It wasn't necessarily with friends when they were young. It's when they first got in trouble and they were youth, um, introduced to drugs in youth offending um, prisons or centres. And... It's carried on from there. It's become a way of life for them, a way of coping, a way of functioning. You know, um, that's how addiction works. You know, it will hook you and grip you a bit like a fish. You know, when a um, fisherman throws a hook in, in the water and he's got the bait on it, that's how drug addiction works. So it becomes part of them. So, yes, you can pick up new habits in prison, absolutely, and they stay with you and they can be very hard to shake off. So this is why drugs like spice um, are really causing major problems um, in UK jails at the moment. Um, And it's not necessarily just the prisoners bringing in the drugs, but also, um, you know, some officers allowing it to happen that is that is a, a major problem here so i'm just going to tell you um a quick story about um a woman who lost her son in prison who was he was he wasn't even he wasn't even diagnosed to be honest I can't say he was misdiagnosed because he wasn't diagnosed correctly. He um, got into trouble, was in and out of prison, um, but before he was in and out of prison, he was in and out of um, mental health units um, for most of his life from, a, from, a, from his teens. So evidently there was um, mental health issues. 
Ja. Dus van opnoop. And he had these issues, got into trouble. Um, for bearing a firearm. It was a barrette. A gun, a replica gun. You know, and he threatened to kill himself. Because he just had enough. Could not cope with what was going on in his head and in his body. And threatened to kill himself. And of course he was sectioned. Um, put into hospital. But then he was then thrown into jail for brandishing um, a firearm. Because um, it is illegal. It's not. This is not America, yeah? This is the UK. Um, and he was given a very long sentence, um, which wasn't helpful, because what they didn't um, focus on was that this young man had um, a history, a long history of mental health. Um, he actually had borderline personality um, disorder, and suffered with um, depression. He tried to self-medicate with alcohol and drugs, yeah, um, and had numerous um, suicide attempts over the years. Um, he even had an incident where he exposed himself um, on public transport um, when he was completely out of it. So, you know, there was a number of red flags there, a number of indicators that this man was vulnerable and uh, there was obviously safeguarding issues. Um, and whilst he was actually on remand, there was no opportunity for him to have any form of rehabilitation. Um, and he kept on um, journaling and writing about what was going on for him. He was documenting it. In his journal, you know, very open about wanting to take his life. So you know that some work, some therapeutic work needed to be done. He needed to be, you know, held therapeutically, either with um, a combination of medication and talking therapy. Um, that would have been good, some CBT, but none of that was um, administered. That intervention wasn't applied wasn't offered you know he wasn't he wasn't offending because he wanted to get anything out of it it was a cry for help um, and he was very sad and he was very angry because he wasn't getting that help he knew that he was unwell he knew um, so what his um, mom done she took this, um, she took his case to the House of Commons. She took it to the penal, penal reform and um, the Justice Department. Yeah, so she took it to the Justice Department and challenged why um, her son wasn't looked after 
properly whilst he was in custody because there's been um, a fairly large increase in people dying in custody um, when different measures could have been uh, taken at several different points so it's seen as neglect basically um, and negligence so there was a doctor called Jake Phillips who um, lectures in criminology and he says national records of deaths, deaths under probation had improved since he first began researching the subject nearly 10 years ago there's a fairly strong argument for saying we know a lot about why people kill themselves in prison so what he's saying is there's a fairly strong argument for saying we know a lot about why people kill themselves in prison there's been 20 years of um, gathering information um, we just don't know that what does that mean um, and somebody who's head of policy that has been a complete institutional indifference towards the lives of death of people following release from custody and a lack of visibility and investigation deaths have been rising year after year and we need more scrutiny on why this is and what we can what can be done to prevent these deaths in future I think we've outlined what can be done um, you know, we need more mental health um, services to be involved in prisons and assessing people at the early stages and ensuring that they get the um, correct model of care <clears throat> whilst they're serving their sentences and when they leave as well and ensuring that they get the correct medication and that they're monitored and put in safe spaces whilst they um, serve their sentences but yeah there's a whole range of um issues in prison from from the prison the prison structure from the recruitment of staff and, and staff presently um, employed to the offenders themselves and uh, the conditions and just the whole structure of the system is overhauling um, because as well, there's there's many um, offenders that are not getting not just um, what they need medically and psychologically, even educationally, they're not getting what they need um, to implement uh, change, you know, um, and rehabilitation. So there aren't enough classes running to address um, literacy issues because. Many people that are offend who who constantly reoffend. There's there's problems with reading, writing, and maths and, and basic life skills. These are linked to their offending. It's been missed because the funding is not there. You know, but nobody's really talking about this stuff. And also, if there's domestic uh, also if there's domestic violence issues. Um, ensure that they can get onto these courses within prison and start to address some of this stuff whilst they're in a, a space where they can receive it and it can really sink in 
and I can really do that therapeutic work. Why do I not want to come back to prison? Why? Where does this um, behaviour and thinking come from? Let them do the therapeutic work whilst they're inside, unless they're on a short sentence, then they come and do it up on release. And the gaps mustn't be big. You know, someone's got to wait over two years after they've um, been released from prison, then they've got to do that therapeutic work. It becomes meaningless, doesn't it? You know, let's, let's, let's keep it 100 here. It becomes meaningless. Do that therapeutic work with them. Do the educational work with them. Why is inside? You know, um, ensure that they have contact with their family. So they have um, a positive focus, you know, um, whilst they're doing their time. Something positive to focus on, you know. Utilise those protective factors. If it's their family, their children, the partners, or um, the fact that they could come out, um, have a career in something. There are people that don't have qualifications. You're sure they leave prison with qualifications. So you've built them. You've built them up. You built them from the ground up. Meet people where they're at. You know, which is why I am. I love some companies. Um, I can't think of the company now. Um, that do work with ex-offenders so they offer them apprenticeships you know, it's, it, it's so key it's so key you know, because this benefits not only offenders but their families and society that's the whole point in reducing offending is that society benefits from that we are society. The system is society. So we need to do something different, don't we? Yeah. And let's not let's not forget women, how they are affected um, by offending as well. So we're going to look at that as well. How are women aff um, aff affected, and can we do something different there as well? Can a different intervention? Um, be, be, be tabled out for women because they are um, primarily heads of family so not only are they affected but the children are affected especially the single mums you know are, are we too hasty to put women in prison could there be a different um, model you know of um, intervention for women offenders because often they're um, victims of domestic violence most of the time, or coercion, or street working. You know, we know uh, the sex trafficking. Now. There's so many, so many different things that pull women into um, the, that offending um, cycle. You know, I could go on and on and on and on, but I'm not going to because um, we've got a lot to get through. So let's let's get into it. Let's get into it. The government has a, a duty of care to look after these vulnerable adults once, once they've been released back into the community. But is that really happening? I don't think it is. Um, because they're, they're dying worse to out, out of the, the prison system as well. Um, there's a lot of isolation. 
some of them need social workers, some of them need counselling, some of them need housing, some of them um, need to be reunited with their families again, or their partners, you know, and um, basic life skills as well, managing money, because a, a guy will come out of prison and he's gone to buy trainers and a tracksuit and he's left himself with no money for food or gas or electric, um, and that becomes an issue. You know, then then they get stuck back into reoffending. So I think whilst they're in prison, teach them um, life skills, budgeting. You know, prioritizing all of these things. But let's let's get some figures up here. So and some data. So the number of people dying whilst on probation in England and Wales has risen by almost a third in three years. So this is 2019 um, data I'm reading here. So it's saying campaign group said there's been institutional indifference between offenders released from custody. A social worker said her job has become a treadmill of bureaucracy. Probation staff, they're doing as much as they can with what they have. Um, what do they say? You can't turn a silk purse, no, a pig's ear into a silk purse. You know, um, so they're just working with what they've got. Same as drug and alcohol workers, same as social workers, same as um, psychiatrists. You know, if they've only got a limited amount of money, they can only offer a limited service. So it becomes a bit like a, 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 a postcode lottery or a lottery. Yeah. So I think it's clear that um, more investment is needed um, to change some of these things. For sure. There's so many articles on this, um, it's, it's mind-blowing, but, um, yeah. So I think the next thing we're going to look at is, um, why are women go to jail? What's happening there? So, we're just going to hear from... Uh, one of the government heads that's talking about prison reforms and what are some of the the problems, the issues that are causing prisons and prison reform and rehabilitation to fail in 2019. So to sit back and uh, just take in what he's saying because it's, it's very... Telling of what's why why the system's failing. Okay, let's get into it. This report is an attempt to look across the piece at our approach to prison policy going forward over the next five or more years. And what we conclude is that we don't make good use of prisons for a number of reasons. Prisons are expensive. We lock up more people than most of our comparators, but we actually get worse results 
in terms of turning around people's lives and stopping reoffending. And that's important not just because those are wasted lives and opportunities, not just because it costs this country a great deal of money, about 18 billion is sometimes quoted as a figure, but also the more reoffending, the more victims. So what we say is we have to look again and rethink the way we use prisons. They're always necessary for those that create, commit serious crimes, uh, for those uh, who are a threat to society. But there are many people there who have difficulties with drugs, alcohol, many other problems that we don't have the space currently to address. There's no point either in having lots of repeat offenders going through for short sentences where we believe very often tough, and we mean generally tough and rigorous sentences in the community would offer not only a better and more effective and immediate form of punishment, but also a means of making sure that society helps and encourages and ensures that those people turn their lives around. So we want a more modern, a more joined up approach to the way in which we use imprisonment, but also the way we link that to the rest of the criminal justice system. Okay, and that, that's a statement coming from the House of Commons. And what he's saying is, is that it's no point in warehousing people with all those list of issues that he stated there. Um, £18 billion is being wasted um, on prisons and some of the systems um, that they have in place, which aren't working. So we've we got to stop warehousing people and um, actually do the work and make sure um, some of the measures that they're putting in place are working to address the reasons why some of these people are constantly reoffending. Otherwise, really, it's just, um, they say crime pays or crime doesn't pay. It's paying somebody, but it's not, it's not, um, paying society, it's not serving society um, you know, what is the purpose of this so now we're going to look at um, how prisons affect women and families she's had her first birthday with me, first Christmas first Mother's Day that was our first picture because that's when we went to KFC when I first came. Well, it's Mother's Day every day for me, with my kids with me. Yeah. It's scary for children to see their mum going to prison, to be like, handcuffed and put in a car and taken away. I was six, I think, when I left my mum. It was all really confusing for me, obviously, because when I was really young, I didn't really know what was going on. Foster care homes, I think I've been to about five different ones. Once I moved, like, twice, I just gave up with making new friends. I just like to be on my own a lot. I never settled into like 
at home because I never felt like it was my home. I just wanted to be with my mum a lot and my family. Most of the nights I would like cry myself to sleep. Like it was hard for me. When I found out my mum was going to jail, I was about 16 years old. I was really shocked, I didn't really understand. I get to see my mum about every three weeks. When we do get to see each other, it is amazing. It's the best time that I have. Happy Mother's Day. Oh. Oh, it is. I love it. You do? It's so nice. This is a card for Mother's Day for you. Thank you. I hope you like it. <laughs> it says, to Mum, happy Mother's Day. Hope you have a good day. Lots of love, Izzy and Holly. So When I found out my mum was going to jail, um, my only option was then to go into independent living. There was no sort of, do you like it or do you want to live there? It was just move my stuff in and that was it. The difficult thing was for everything to be on you. I had to do my dishes, I had to do my washing. If my electric went, it was on me. I was 16 and it basically I was the only person that could have helped myself. I also had to quit college because I had to get a job to afford my bills. I felt like I'd failed myself even though it wasn't my fault. That was probably the most difficult thing that could have happened to me is losing my mum. I'd lost her again, even though I'd lost her in care. It was like an extra loss now. I wasn't being able to bring her when I wanted or I couldn't just meet her for a coffee. Like it, it was a complete different separation. The first night it was easy, but it was, it was probably a couple of weeks after that and I was going to work and it would be, I'd be coming back and it'd be late. I used to think if something did happen to me, on the way home, there's no one that is at home waiting for me. So that was a that was scary for me. It makes me sad to say that. But yeah, that was difficult. But at 16, you should have somebody waiting for you to come home. That photo there was the first contact. Before I came home? In five years? Yeah. A lot's changed fast, like it's all been fast, but a good fast. My experience from the criminal system was a lot. My first sentence was only three months. That was for shoplifting. The second one was six months. That was for GBH. And my third one was a six month again, and that was just for fighting. I was a nasty, drug-taking, unfit mother in a violent relationship. I 
didn't have a life from the start as a child, so I didn't really know what life was about. Now I didn't have that guidance. I went to prison for conspiracy to defraud. In total, it was an eight-year sentence. For around 20 years, I was in a domestic violent relationship. I would drink as a coping mechanism and I would accept the abuse because I had such low self-esteem. Izzy and I's relationship has always been that Izzy's parented me for as long as I can remember. From the age of around seven is when the severe abuse took place and Izzy would stand between me and the perpetrators. I was the best mum I could be at the time, but when I look back, I know that that wasn't good enough. My children weren't getting the support that they needed. When Izzy first came to see me, she was sobbed, and everybody in the visits room was looking, and she, she held me like she never, ever wanted to let me go. And I just stroked her head and tried to reassure her that everything would be okay. would have helped would have been more support for my drug addiction. Maybe if the police and social services would have helped me get away from the area with my kids, away from the domestic violence, maybe then I might have had a chance of keeping my kids. You're a mum and you screwed kids' lives up. Because you chose to. No, you didn't choose to do it. No, any mother would tell you that. My relationship with my mum, we do have our ups and downs, but she's like my best friend. It's been really nice just to spend time with her and tell her how much I'm proud of her. We've always been close, but from what we've both gone through, I think it's kind of made us stronger. When I wasn't able to see you, I wanted to tell you that, like, I got bullied a lot, and so that you could help me to, like, stand up for myself. I wanted to tell you that I wanted to be home earlier. Um, I'm sorry the way things went. If I could have changed it on my own, I would have. And I would have helped you and I would have been there for you. But you're going to be fine now. I think being able to come out and release a temporary license has saved Izzy and I's relationship because it's given us something that we can do together on a fortnightly basis to keep that bond, to keep them family ties and to grow stronger. When I said goodbye to my mum, at first it was very hard for me because I sort of was like, why do you have to go now? It's sort of a happy time because I feel like, yes, she's going, but I know she's going to come back. 
your relationship with me is the most important relationship yeah. I've got. When you're calling me all the time, some people are like, why is she always calling me? But I feel like that's because we've been had that separation. Obviously, we want to be around each other more than other mums and daughters. Yeah, and I think because I am always conscious I wasn't the best mum, yeah. I'm so conscious of being that now. And I think if I could have said anything to you back then, it would have been that I'm sorry that it took for me to be taken away, to be, <laughs> to be a good mum. And I wish I could have done that without all of this. And I can never give you that time back, but I'll try my best. Yeah. I'm always really proud to be like that to my mum. You got through it, but then you did better as well as just getting through it. I love you. <laughs> So we've listened to some of the extracts from women that are imprisoned uh, there and it's just further highlighting some of the things I said about um, women who offend and, and who are stuck in the system, what are some of the reasons why they offend and a lot of it is linked to their own childhood, their own relationships, their own learning experiences and um, their children do suffer especially if, especially if they're single mums if they've had to escape um, domestic violence um, based relationships or they've got embroiled in, in fraud um, and just find themselves stuck in a cycle but you can hear how, how it's affected the children because now these children have had to become um, adults, their childhood has been lost or because they're, they're stuck in this kind of um, environment with their mums, they've now shifted from becoming the child to also becoming the parent as you heard um, one of the young girls say or the mum said, you know, when I was uh, trapped in these um, volatile relationships my daughter would often get in between me and and my partner or perpetrators at the time. So she then became the adult and the child. You know, imagine how conflicting and how frightening that must have been, how devastating that must have been on, on her daughter's mental health. And the fact that she's turned out to be this well-rounded um, young adult still trying to find her way is a miracle and that she's been able to sustain a relationship with her mum only because her mum was coming out on um, prison release you know every two weeks so they could rebond and, and form uh, a mother and daughter relationship which you could hear from both both um, daughters was important to them but it was also important to hear that the mothers recognised where where they fell down or where the system failed them um, where they could have got help, where they could have probably been put in a, a women's refuge to escape um, their abusive partners. Um, instead, they got caught up in, in a life of crime. 
and end up doing short sentences which then turned into long sentences from three months to five years to eight years that's a lot of time to be away from your child um you know and that's quite hard that's a quite hard place to be um for a woman in particular you know some um guys that i work with they say there's more uh, measures in place or interventions in place for women but i feel that women suffer just as just as much as the men um when they're caught in um this revolving door of prison and um rehabilitation if there's any at all um because of all these cuts you know so they talk about services being uh, joined up and communicating with each other I've been hearing that for the last 20 odd years and um, still it seems very divided and um, people are falling through um, the gaps and suffering and um, it's actually us the public that are paying for that, those those mistakes or lack of foresight. Yeah, so just food for thought guys. There's so, there's so much I want to discuss on this and um, it will be something that I come and revisit again um, as the system is constantly changing um, and it's affecting a lot of young people as well that are trying to escape um, things such as knife crime and um, drug dealing. It's really not black and white. Um, there's no one kind of solution for one size fits all solution um but i think there just needs to be more open dialogue and more action and less talking um yeah so i hope you found that useful and insightful that's enough from me rainbow black um ampersand the enigma podcast is always trying to bring you something groundbreaking and and different and new um because that's that's what i'm about um dealing with real life things real life issues and if you love this um podcast and you want to keep on supporting me whilst i build this platform and this space please rate and subscribe and like that is the only way um i can move up the charts and know what you're thinking please leave me some comments let me know what you're thinking what you're feeling you can leave me a voice note um any suggestions if you'd like to come on the podcast and do an interview with me share your experiences i would love that as well um yeah engage with me i'm i'm that i'm that person so yeah let me know what you're feeling and thinking and don't forget to share this podcast with somebody who would love it or somebody who would who needs it and that's all from me until the next podcast over and out Thank you for listening to Ampersand the Enigma podcast. 
To listen to more episodes on your favourite podcast platforms, tune in now on Anchor FM, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocketcast and Radio Republic. And you can also catch me on Apple Podcasts as well. So tune in, download the apps and enjoy. And remember to rate and subscribe to show your support and spread the word. Thank you so much from your host, Rainbow Black.